That's what I want us to do. If you look at the sermon title for this morning, which was the same from last week, he gave himself, let us do the same. And last week, we, we looked at how um, Christ came, and in his coming, he gave himself to God, to us, for the, so that we could be saved. And we, we talked about how we, as Christians, should do the same. And so, this morning, we're going to look at a similar passage, and to be honest, I, I thought about preaching this um, during this Christmas season a, a few weeks ago, and then I decided against it, and so I started preparing my other sermons, and I just couldn't forget this one. I just kept coming back to this one and to this passage, and I just thought, you know, a lot of people know it, but it's still such an incredible passage, and this isn't necessarily the traditional Christmas um, passage where we, where we will look later, uh, where we actually see the birth of Jesus. Uh, however, if you will turn with me to Titus chapter 1, and I'm going to give you a little background before we get to verse 16. Um, this letter is saying, hey, we're so excited that you are a believer and that Epaphras led you to the Lord, and we're so excited about what God is doing in your life. We're so excited that, that he gives any of us a chance for salvation. And, and this Jesus, whom you now belong to, who you now have a relationship with, this same Jesus has done so many good things, so many different things like redeeming us. And then he's, what, what Paul is going to do here is he is going to go farther and he is going to tell, um, tell Titus some more reasons or sorry, Colossians 1, not Titus. I, I see the Titus up there. It threw me off. We're in Colossians 1. I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's my bad. <laughs> yeah, Colossians 1. I, I'm, I'm throwing that off. Last week we were in Titus. This week we're in Colossians. I'm sorry, Carol, for throwing you off like that. Um, no problem. Uh, but in Colossians 1... And, and we're going to be Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. But in this, um, he's going to say some things that we already know. Hopefully, we know these things. But in saying them, um, and looking at them at this time of year specifically, I, what I want us to do, this is the last sermon that will do this, but is to look at what it cost Jesus to be born as a man. To be born as a human being, I should say. Because a lot of times we think of the little baby. We think of that night when he's born in Bethlehem. We think of the wise men. We think of all these things. And, and we get into a routine, which is not necessarily a bad routine, of just thinking about, um, how precious the baby was. But we forget what it cost God to become a baby. I mean, there's not much more fragile on this earth than a baby. And, and sweet and, and beautiful. And so it's good to think of God in that terms, that he, he became human that he left heaven, because if Jesus is God, which the Bible teaches and which we as Christians believe, 
if he is God, then that means that he is eternal. He existed before he became a human being. And we're going to look at some of that this morning. And if he existed before he became a human being as God, which the Bible teaches he did, then he had to leave heaven to come here, to this place, to earth. And he had to, be, to put on flesh. And he had to become, in a sense, mortal, even though we know that after his death, the resurrection occurred. Um, and, but he had to be able to put on flesh in order that he could die for our sake. And so those are the types of things that as we're thinking about the baby and as we're thinking about how sweet Christmas is, I believe that it makes it even sweeter when we consider what he left to become a human being. We know what happened when he became a human being, but let's think of that transition from God with no pain, no suffering in and of himself, becoming a man and taking on all of this. And so, in Colossians 1, verse 15, this is what it says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So let's deal with some of this. First of all, he is the image. This isn't saying that he is like God, as we'll get into in a few verses. This is saying he is the exact replicate of God. He is God. And I don't know how the Trinity works. If I could explain it well, I can tell you what the Bible says. But if I could explain it well so that we could wrap our minds around it, then I could write a book and we'd all be rich, okay? But... Um, like many who have come before me, it is a difficult thing to understand. It's easy to accept. It's difficult to understand. Um, but the Bible teaches that, that there is one God, one God. It says it over and over and over again, one God. However, that one God presents himself in three persons. And those three persons are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son is Jesus. And so... Um, when it says that he is talking about Jesus from previous verses, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And what I want us to pay attention to here is the fact that if Jesus is the image of the invisible God and Jesus became a man and we have the history in our Bibles, whether the Chinese one that's still up here from last week or the English version here, when we're reading the Bible and we're learning about God, we can learn about God all throughout the Bible. But at one point in time in history on this planet, God lived as a man. In flesh, in person, he had friends, he had a mom. He had people that he helped, who he loved, and, and that man died for us. And if we want to know about God, then one of the best ways for us to do that, that is to turn our attention to whom? Jesus. Jesus, who is the image 
of the invisible God. Okay? If we want to see something that's invisible, we're going to have a difficult time. But if we're wanting to see something that's visible, it's going to be a little simpler. I know, I just blew your minds, right? It's easier to see something that's visible than something that's invisible. Um, But some of us forget. Some of us think, I wonder what God is like. I wonder what God would do in this situation. I wonder what God wants. What does he want from my life? We ask these types of questions, and and I, I ask them too. But there's a way for us to know. And that way for us to know is, is that we find the visible God. We go and we look for Jesus. And we find him in these words. We find him in, in how he lived his life throughout this. And then it says that he is the firstborn of all creation. That's not saying that he was created first because the Bible teaches that Jesus was not created, that he is God, that he always was, always is, always will be God, right? When, when Moses came to the burning bush and God asked him, or sorry, Moses asked him what his name was, what should I tell the people who sent me, what was his reply? What was God's reply? I am, meaning present tense. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says in the New Testament. I am the gatekeeper. Present tense, always. He was, he is, and he will be. He's forever God. And it's no different for Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Look at verse 16. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so as we get ready for Christmas and as we think about a baby being born, let's not forget that that baby is the creator of the universe, that he is God. He wasn't a lesser form of God. Now, he might have chosen to not grasp and and hold on to or um, to act out on all his privileges as God when he became a man, but he was still God. That even though he was a baby, he was God. Okay, my brain's starting to hurt. It's too much, too much to think about. But let's just remember that. When we're thinking about that precious baby, and aren't all babies precious? For those of you parents who aren't sleeping at night right now, don't answer. But aren't all babies precious? And yet here was one that not only was he precious because he's a baby, he's precious because he is the creator who took on flesh in order to save his creation in order to pay for the sins that they committed. That's what this baby did for us. He grew into a a man, and that man went to a cross for our sake, for the glory of the Father. 
And so, for by him all things were created. If you were to go back to Genesis 1.26, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, let us make man in our image. That's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you were to look throughout the Scripture, you would see evidence of, it, of creation being done by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they all played a part. Now, how does the Trinity work? I don't know all those answers. I know that um, God is good, God is loving, God is full of wrath, God, we should fear God, but all that we know about God, let's just put it up here, okay, just pretend like it's all up here, okay, and all the things about God that are true, he's perfect, He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, so he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's, he's everywhere at all times. All of those things we know about God, okay? Let's circle all those things, and how many of you can say that we, all those things are found in you? Anybody in here omnipotent? Omniscient. Anybody reading minds right now? All right, good. We were going to have to call the doctors if uh, anybody raised their hand. But here's the deal. All of that that defines God as much as a human being can define God, it was found in one man. And who was that? Jesus. And I know I'm making this simple, but sometimes during this season we forget these things. And I want to make sure that we're focusing on them. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones. So he's saying not just trees, right? Not just the physical world that we see, but the spiritual world that we don't see. There was nothing but God, and he created it all. And so look at verse 17. And he, oh, sorry, I I don't think I ever explained the firstborn thing back in, in verse 15. So let me just address that very briefly all that that all that he's saying is back in this culture and if you've read the old testament then you understand um what did the firstborn inherit everything so it's saying he's the firstborn of creation meaning that he it's all his he is the inheritor it's his and then it goes further by saying for by him all things were created and then we get to verse 17 and it says and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is still part of creation. He's still holding all this together. Now it's not like first time creation, but as we're seeing babies being born now, as we're seeing human beings um, becoming who we are throughout time, As we see these things, who's holding all that together? Who's still in control of creation? Jesus. And so, if we believe the Bible, and if we believe what this is saying, then this is not just a man. Was Jesus a man? Did he experience temptations? Did he experience heartache, pain, suffering? Yes, he was human. He became human. He put on flesh. But was he God? Yes. Could he at any moment just spoken a word 
and all this go away? He could have. He's God. But would he have is a different question. And we know the answer is is he didn't. He he suffered through it all for, for the glory of God and for his sake. And so let's continue. And he is the head of the body, the church. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is our leader. We are to look to him. As we celebrate this baby being born, and, and, and let's remember that he, he did become a baby, this fragile baby. But also, let's remember who he was, even as a baby, that he is God. And he becomes the leader of the church. He calls his disciples. And in that, in calling those disciples, he tells them to go out and make more disciples. And in these local areas, Christians begin meeting together, the church. And as they're meeting together, they're trying to accomplish his purpose together. And that's what we do as a church. And he is our head. So what should we do? What direction should we go as a church? Whatever direction he desires for us to go. Because he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is literally, he rose from the dead and stayed alive. He didn't, like Lazarus, God called him out of the grave. And then eventually Lazarus did, Lazarus did have a natural birth, or a death. Uh, this is Jesus rose from the dead and stayed alive. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So he's over it all. He is God. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So is there some of God in Jesus? There's all of God in Jesus. Jesus is God. Is there some of God in the Father? There's all of God in the Father. The Father is God. Is there some of God in the Holy Spirit? There's all of God in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And so, let's remember Him. Let's remember what He's done in, in, as we read this. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so what is his desire? Why did he become a man? And here's our answer. To reconcile to himself all things. He created us. It was his choice to create us. Out of love, The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in perfect unity created all that we know, created us. And what caused them to do such a thing? Well, throughout Scripture we see the answer is love. He desired for us to exist. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 it says, you exist by His pleasure according to the King James Version. By his will. He he wanted it. He wanted us to exist. So out of love, he created us. And we can we can experience this, right? We can relate to this. 
Rose and I loved each other. We were married for five years, and we wanted children. We wanted to be able to share our love with not just the two of us, but with the family. And so we began our family, and we thought, what have we done? No, I'm just playing. We began our family, and our son, John, was born uh, almost eight years ago, and he's never messed up since then, never sinned. Oh, wait. No, that's not true. I don't know why he was just sitting with y'all, but I'm sure it's because he was in trouble, and his mama sent him in here. She's leading children's church this morning. But anyway, he's messed up a time or two, as we all have. And so Rose and I, in our love, God blessed us with a child. And that child has sinned. And there is nothing I can do to save him from his sins. You know why? Because his father, me, is a sinner. God created man, and man did what? They sinned. God created us in love. We rebelled. And even as we are rebelling, even in the garden, when God is punishing them, He's covering them with clothes. He's taking care of them. He's promising, even in the beginning, that the serpent will be destroyed. That He will make things right. But how can God make things right? Because He has to punish sin. If He's just, He has to punish sin. He has to punish my sin and your sin. And so He can't just say, as I wish I could, John Michael, it's okay. You messed up, but everything's going to be okay. You're a pretty good person. You're going to go to heaven without anything to help you. That's not reality. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if someone sins against God and His holiness, then God, being just, has to punish the person for their sin. For the wages of sin is death, is what the Bible teaches. And so God had to punish But he gave a promise, a hint that someone was coming. He gave a promise early in Scripture that sins would be covered. He, he told Abraham that through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He made that promise several more times to Abraham's descendants. We get to Moses, and he leads the people out of Egypt. And he leads them to the mountain. And he tells them once again, you are to be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. My treasure possession among all peoples is what he says later. And so over and over and over again, he hints that he is going to make it all right. He promises that a Savior is coming. And no one knows how. No one understands it. Now, there are hints that there is going to be this suffering servant who comes and who will be afflicted for our transgressions, right? Wounded for our transgressions. We, we see hints of what it's going to be like. 
We, but we also see this conquering king who's coming, this Messiah who's coming. And we see these hints all throughout Scripture. And I'm sure people guess at what it's going to look like, like we guess about what the end of time is going to look like. But nobody had it quite right. And even the people closest to him, John the Baptist, Peter, John, his disciple, even his mom, even his family, his brothers, they, they didn't know exactly who was right in front of them. They, they got it right at times, but, but then they defaulted right back to thinking he was just a really good man who maybe is going to do some incredible military-type, government-type things. And in this defaulting back, they, kept, they didn't realize that he was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. They didn't realize that the person standing in front of them, the baby that was born to Mary and Joseph, they didn't realize that for by him all things were created in heaven and earth. They didn't realize that he was before all things. And in him, he holds all things together. They didn't realize that he would be the head of the church, the head of the body. They didn't realize these things. They didn't realize who he was. But he had come because he created man out of love and man had messed things up with sin. And he was coming to pay for that sin, but because of God's justice, because he has to do what's right, man sinned, man had to pay for that sin. So what did God become? Man, in order to pay the debt that we owed. God created us. We were once his. He died for us. And he offers us an opportunity to be twice his. And he desires now for us to be the body. To live for Him. In Him, in Jesus, in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. When He died on that cross, He made a way for us to have peace with God. All we have to do is put our faith in Him. All we have to do is believe that He is God. To believe that he, God, was born as a baby who grew into a man who died on a cross. And in between that birth and that death, he never sinned. He lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve to be punished for anything. And so, the punishment that he took at the end of his life was not for himself or his shortcomings. It was for us and our shortcomings. That's this baby. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because God became man. And he dwelt among us. And now we look forward to the day when he returns. And where we will get to dwell with God forever. Not just temporarily, not just for 30-something years, but for forever. Where there will be no more separation. There will be no more death on our end. There will be no more ascension. There will be, we will all be together. We will get to dwell with God. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And in that last verse, in verse 20, this is the last one we're going to look at today. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Will you go back to the title slide? If we have a God who gave himself, he gave himself to humanity. He gave himself to the cross to save us. If he did that, what should we do? We should give ourselves. Obviously, we don't have a literal cross waiting for us, I hope. But we have figurative crosses. That last verse says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. He is a God of reconciliation, and he has made us ministers of reconciliation. It is our job to go tell people about this baby. It is our job to let people know, hey, do you know why we celebrate Christmas? And in the South, most people know, oh, that's the day Jesus was born. Not all people, but most people know that. But do they know? Do they know what he left to become this fragile baby? Do they know why he became a baby? Do they know how that relates and applies to their lives? Do you know this morning? Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've never understood exactly who he was, that he is God. Maybe this morning you need to trust him as your savior, accept the payment that he made for your sins on the cross, and to become a follower of his. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Or maybe, as I assume many or most of you in this room are Christians. You've already put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And he came to reconcile. Let us do the same. Let us tell people about one who can make it all right. About one who will make it all right. Maybe not... not here, but whenever the end comes and he restores everything that he we can have salvation in him we can have a relationship with God through Jesus and what he did on the cross and the last thing I'll say and challenge you is reconciliation doesn't just happen between man and God reconciliation happens between man and man and so maybe you're in here and you have turmoil with someone in your life or someone in this room. If God was willing to give himself and God was willing to, to go to the cross in order for reconciliation to occur, then shouldn't we be willing to have a conversation with someone? Shouldn't we be willing to swallow our pride and, and to put relationship first and so wherever you are this morning let's follow the example of Jesus the firstborn of all creation the inheritor of it all if you have a relationship with him you get to dwell with him one day you get to be with him one day and that is going to be a magnificent day and a glorious day and that's why we await his second coming and so this Christmas let's celebrate his first coming let's look back and celebrate his birth 
and let's look forward to his return. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that this morning that we would all remember who you are. That you are not just another baby. You are not just another man. You did not just die another death. But you were the firstborn of all creation. You existed before your birth. You are God. And yet you came, became a man in order to live a life to die for us. And I pray that you would help us to remember that. Help us to remember what you have done for our sake. That there is reconciliation through you. Help us to remember that. And help us to be like you, Lord. You came, you gave yourself. Help us to do the same. Help us to every day live our lives for your glory and for the good of the people around us. God, I pray that this morning as we're talking about these theological things, these big things, that you convicted hearts about what that means for their life right now. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in here who needs to make a decision on what it means to follow you for the first time or to follow you more closely or to reconcile with someone, whatever you have convicted, I pray that right now, Lord, that your spirit would move and that as we remember your birth, that you would give us great hope of your coming. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.